This is the Saddler's Post, conversations on horses, leather trade, and the art of saddlery, with our host, Christian Love. My guest today on the Saddler's Post podcast is saddler and saddle fitter, Lauren Garrett-Bond of Mid-Atlantic Saddlery. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Christian. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on. I was very impressed, um, you know, when I first met you in Florida on our uh, introduction to Albion. And, um, you know, knowing that I do this podcast, I'm always looking at people um, who are on their journey into saddlery, um, saddle fitting. And, um, you know, as I started watching your social media and getting to to learn a little bit more about you, I, I was really, really impressed with how you're organizing your your journey into saddlery. Can you tell uh, tell us a little bit about the you know the early days and you trans or you know what was the motivation to transition into this? Sure. Well, thank you. I don't know that I'm doing anything all that impressive. I think I really just stand on the shoulders of giants and have been helped along in this process. I, I don't think I've reinvented the wheel in any way, but um, I started out riding when I was a kid. I've ridden since I was seven years old. I was a horse-crazed child and loved it. And over my adult life, struggling to figure out how to pay for the hobby that I loved so much, I've tried a bunch of different paths into the horse world. I have a degree in behavior. I tried teaching lessons for a little while. None of that really sort of stuck. And I took a job um, working on the retail side of saddlery uh, for a really great company, Maryland Saddlery, in my home state and learned a ton more about saddles and tack than I had ever known as a rider or a child coming up. And I was very fortunate in that retail relationship they had a bench saddler um there on premises and his name is Ridgely Davis and he has turned into my mentor he has turned into a very very dear friend but more importantly than that when I was ready to sort of take the leap into saddlery and take what was a leather craft hobby and try to do something more formalized with it Um, I was very fortunate that I could pick up the phone and call him and say, hey, any chance there's room for me to like sit on a stool in your workshop and just hang out and watch you do stuff? And truly that really where this leapt off from. Um, So I have excellent advice from the people that run Maryland Saddlery. I've been very fortunate that everyone that I've come across sort of on this journey has really helped me forward. Um, And Ridgely has been a really big part of that. That's that's wonderful. That's the that's the part that stuck out to me is, um, you know, everyone starting their journey into saddlery will, you know, it, it's frustrating trying to access education um, because, you know, everybody that offers, um, you know, a course on saddle fitting or a course on saddlery, it's, you know, they're doing their best to move things forward or, you know, create a better um, environment. But the fact is it's a weekend course or it's a week course or, um, you know, it's not in depth. 
there's no if you're entering this without mentorship you are really really going to struggle and you probably you know I, I've repeat this many many times it's the 18 month mark when people go I can't stand this I'm not getting anywhere <laughs> I'm frustrated and it's it's that yes. when yeah. men- mentorship is supposed to kick in and go yeah this is normal you know yeah dry your eyes blow your nose well, get back to work <laughs> right exactly and and truly Ridgely is I think he's got 37 years at the bench and when I started I am a very type a very gung-ho genuinely extroverted person and he very early on in my time with him at the bench said you know you should maybe look at style setting because I don't know that by yourself in a basement in a workshop is going to fulfill all of your personal needs so you like talking to people, you're really good at horse behavior, you're really smart about how saddles are constructed and what the, the various variables could could be in terms of fitting. You really ought to like maybe go beyond me. He said, I don't want to go out and do saddle settings. I'm good at it and I'm skilled, but I don't like it. And I would much rather you go out and do that stuff. Let's get you set up going in that direction. So. Um, having people who are really honest with you and say, hey, look, you need 10,000 hours at the bench before you're worth your salt in any way. And you you got to also know your strengths and know what you're good at and, and speak to those. Um, really, I've had incredibly honest and good mentorship from him and from a number of people. Everyone that I've reached out to, um, the Society of Master Saddlers, other Master Saddlers, other fitters here in the U.S., really truly have just been such a great resource and even people that I sort of anticipated would be my competition locally have reached out and said look you know I'm coming to the end of my career I'm getting up there I don't want to do full reflux anymore or I don't want to take on saddle sales or I don't want to whatever are you interested can I refer those people to you and so truly I've had sort of a blessed journey on that path because everyone has just been so welcoming and even when they couldn't help they've been able to refer me forward hey I'm not doing that anymore but here's who I would contact if you wanted to learn more about making these stirrup leathers or here's who I would say you reach out to at the jockeys club if you want to go in and do repairs here or here's who you should speak to in England about you know doing an apprenticeship or here's here's some learning opportunities that are available to you so truly even if they couldn't help directly, I've just been so fortunate in that everyone I've approached has sort of said, hey, this is a dying art. We don't have enough people coming up behind us. There's more than enough work for everyone. Please take a piece of this pie because <laughs> we need people. Yeah, the, I mean, so I've, yeah. I've been really lucky. That's that's awesome. I'm so glad to hear this because, I mean, the again, the reason I'm doing the podcast is to reach out to other saddlers, other saddle fitters. Um, if you're not mentoring, you should be mentoring. If you don't have a mentor, you need to find a mentor. Um, and you need to find, um, start networking with people. And like, I'm I'm always amazed, you know, I've gone out of my way just from having, being, you know, a, an extrovert as well, is that you're just reaching out to people going, hey, uh, you know, I'm always interested in how people you know, saddle fitters that are on the road full time, you know, how are you charging your mileage or are you charging mileage or, 
you know, what vehicle are you driving? Because, you know, my gas prices are killing me or, you know, how do you, yeah. um, how do you manage, um, you know, multiple consult fees at one farm? Like, do you, do you split that fee or do you charge everyone something like, you know, just all these little details of, you know, how are you running your business? You know, and it's not the, you know, broad questions of, oh, how do you fit a saddle or how do you flock this or how do you do that or how would you approach that? It's more the, hey, we're um, comrades in this of, um, <laughs> you know, uh, where where do you find uh, good food when you drive through a certain area? Like, or where do you, you know, how do you, you know, find, um, you know, the best thread or you know that type the type of thing where it's like to know it's like it can be a lonely job even though you're in front of customers all the time um absolutely yeah is to have you know people to talk to so again when i look at your how you've set things up and i think you're extremely unique i don't know all fitters <laughs> but my advice to everyone getting started is please, please, please do not drink from the same well every time for your knowledge. Cross-reference constantly, um, but also get out there and do your real-world experience if you're, if you're just going to one single source. So when I look at your website, you know, you're going the SMS route. Your husband, I am. yeah, your husband is going a route of or um, ergonomist. Correct. Correct. So, to me, that's you know, two very distinct philosophies. I don't know a lot about the ergonomist uh, approach, but it's it's not SMS based. Correct. Uh, I um, think I can safely say that based on what I know about the history of there. Um, yep. And then you're mentoring with someone who has, you know, 30 odd years of real world experience that that also is remembers how things used to be done. The standard, yep. um, you know, I'm sure he chuckles every time someone comes in and goes, I have a unique business concept that no one's ever thought of before and he <laughs> says oh yeah I remember we used to do that in the 70s and then we decided that was no longer in fashion <laughs> right yeah well and and especially hearing his take on some of the new technology that comes out you know this will be a blip it'll be a blip like such and such was also a blip and it lasted for five seconds and people bought into it and we you know saw a lot of it come in for repairs and then nobody ever bought one again and that's it so don't invest a lot of time and energy in this because it'll be another sad um yeah he's got great perspective on the history of saddlery and and i'm really lucky that he also was very well connected and collaborated a lot with the American saddlers, you know, we had Vordenbergs in Baltimore and they manufactured their own saddles in downtown Baltimore and they did harness work and he knew them and knew their products and talked through them. He was very close with um, Kurt, who owned Smith Worthington. The oldest American saddlery was started during Washington's presidency. You know, he knew Kurt and, and you know, mourned Kurt when we lost Kurt um, during the pandemic. Um, and, and so, like, 
just he's got really great history and perspective to share and he's been very you know you spend eight hours a day hanging out together doing your own work at your own bench but you just get into these conversations and sometimes it's about music and sometimes it's about history and sometimes it's about saddlery and sometimes it's about you know raising kids or whatever else you've got to chat about but that kind of relationship and being able to learn so much from him and so much from the people that have been sort of in this industry for my lifetime has just been a really great perspective. Um, I, so that you guys have a better sense of my background, I am, um, I was in the fire department and I was an educator for the fire department. So I've been teaching adults for a really long time. Um, teaching people how to save lives, people te- teaching people how to be paramedics, how to be EMTs, how to do that work. And I learned very quickly on as a, a learner and then later as an educator that there is no one source that's got the full perspective on anything. And so truly, you have to go to as many wells as you possibly can to get all of the best perspective that you possibly can achieve and you do have to filter that through your own experience and education and put it through your filters and your testing to sort of determine who's got things that you need but everybody has something that you need and so truly I you know I don't know a lot about French saddles I'm not in France I've never sold a French saddle I didn't know anything about them so I had to go to the experts and say hey teach me about your stuff I did the same thing with English saddles. Hey, I need to know more about why you guys design them this way. Why are we doing it that way? What choices are we making? Is it just tradition? Is this many, many years of, you know, potential progress that we've avoided because we haven't made any changes? Why are we doing those things? What about this kind of leather? What about that kind of leather? Why are we, you know, for example, Steuben has their own cleaning product and they recommend that you only ever use their cleaning product. Why? Help me understand why. I want to be well-educated. And so, truly, I go to the people that have the knowledge with an open mind and honest questions, and I try not to put my opinion out on blast because that shuts people down. And I try to invite people to sort of give me their knowledge and give me their education and help me understand better. And, um, And truly, that has really, I think, made me a better saddler and a better saddle fitter. Um, I truly can go in and say, wow, this is a horse that really would benefit from this brand of saddle that I don't sell, this brand of saddle that I don't have, or this kind of situation. And then I can pick up the phone and I can call the rep for that brand and say, hey, I have a client I think would really benefit from your saddle. Would you be willing to set up an appointment with them and come and bring some saddles for them to try? As an independent saddle fitter, I have that ability. Now, I do rep brands. I've got four brands that I rep, but... I am not beholden to any single one. And because I do use tack and confinement, I also have truly the entire world's worth of saddles to choose from when I have a difficult client fit or when I have a difficult situation. And truly, I, I think that is because I have gone to so many different sources of knowledge. I've said, hey, I want to understand. Compare this to that for me. Show me that tree. Let's talk about what you guys are using to manufacture. Why carbon fiber? Why not carbon fiber? Why plastic? Why gullet head? Why press? Why, right? All of these things that can make variables that seem very complicated when you're talking about saddles and when you're talking about saddle design, when you're talking about saddle fitting, 
all of those pieces play a percentage of how the saddle ultimately is going to work for that horse and that rider. And that it is a, a, a huge, vast ocean of information. We, none of us, not, no single person is going to ever be able to consume all of it and know all of it. And so we have to rely on each other. We have to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey, um, this is awesome. I want to know more. Or this seems crazy. Explain it to me. And so that really has set me up that natural curiosity and, and wanting to know as much as I can, even if what happens is once I know what I dismiss it as this is weird and it doesn't actually work that way. And my experience tells me otherwise, I'm still going and seeking the knowledge. And so that really has um, so far in my whole life held me in really good stead. Um, It does fly a little bit in the face of my certification seeking, like in the fire service through all of that, you have a binder of literal certificates that you've earned in every class you've ever taken. And I really love that. I want those things. And there's not a lot of that in salary. <laughs> there's just not a lot of options for people to, to say, stamp, you got it. Here's your piece of paper that says, you know what I taught you. Um, there's not a lot of testing. There's not a lot of, um, you know, ways to prove your achievement. And that frustrates me. Um, and I personally want that to be very different in the future. I hope that there will be better ways to quantify the knowledge that we gain in saddlery and in saddle fitting because I, I believe that that is necessary, right? I think that that lends itself very well to public trust. And so that going into the well of knowledge can be really hard and can be really frustrating, but it also, I don't have a way to then quantify how much of that I know. And that just has to come out in my experience, in my discussions with my customers, in my discussions with my peers, to be able to say like, oh no, I had a conversation with, for example, Christian. We talked about why these stirrup bars are so desired on these saddles and why that's been used. This is a great piece of education you guys should all know. Um, so I do hope to someday contribute in some way to the, the future of saddlery, whether that's putting together some sort of conference or putting together some sort of education opportunity or something along those lines that would sort of help us to say, hey, these are people that really know what they're doing. They have earned the right to hang that shingle out. They truly are knowledgeable and well-rounded and can bring that knowledge forward to other people so that we don't get people that have a lot of misinformation or, or so that we don't find ourselves in a situation where our customers don't trust us because they've talked to other people with our same title who didn't know as much as we know. And the, that becomes very difficult and frustrating for us. But it is, unfortunately, sort of the current situation in the U.S., and I would assume in most of North America, is that there's just a lot of people saying there's something that they don't actually have the chops to be. Yeah, it, and so I I'm, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The issue I find is that although I am encouraging people, get out there. Like, don't, you know, it's uh, the, the beauty of the unregulated aspect of our industry is that you can print a business card, throw up a website, get your Facebook and says, you know, I'm Joe somebody and I'm a saddle fitter. And then kind of regurgitate a lot of things that they've heard and it will make them sound quite credible. And then they show up at a farm um, because there's such a shortage of 
of people servicing the industry, you do end up reaching out to people maybe you've never heard of and you don't necessarily know their background and they're extremely clever at marketing themselves and then they get there and then you find out like you know I've seen it all with theories of like you know uh, you have to fit horses extremely wide you know um, yeah and then they apply one simple thing that worked one time with their horse and say that's it that's the future and then they they you know they go to England and get you know saddles made on triple extra wide trees and start running around North America saying I have the solution to all your problems everyone's been doing it wrong and then you're you know you stop and take a beat and you go oh well maybe they know something I don't or you know I mean it's I'm know and you kind of stand by the sidelines and watch and unfortunately you know what really is good for business is when that person has kind of run through town and proven that their theory works you know like the broken clock it's you know right some of the times (laughs) but it's right you know and um and what it does is is it degrades the base of the industry so people you know I spend most of my time when I'm with new clients just establishing trust and yeah and some report which is what should be happening but it's also there's a lot of baggage there of what they had previous experiences what their friends told them um, and they were talking such big dollar value now that oh yeah you know when someone drops that kind of money to find out oh yeah no there's no return policy on that there's no you know or yeah whatever and then it's like oh well what do I what do I do now and then you start the education process and they're like but that's what the last person told me (laughs) so you know and it and and it's uh it's great that you know with your openness education based and it probably you know my approach is I always say to clients if I'm telling you something it's because I can I'm kind of air quoting here prove it so all you have to do to protect yourself as a consumer is say, can you show me an example of that? Can we test that theory? You know, if it's the tree with issue, a balance, uh, you know, just simply pumping the brakes and asking a fitter to say, oh, that's interesting, uh, but how do we, you know, test drive that before I commit to it? And I try to always be presenting things that I can. I say, look, we can just you know shim your saddle how I'm suggesting we flock it if it doesn't work Mm -hmm. then we won't flock it that way or um you know if we are going to do something that's you know the two out of ten times you would apply that I'm like look we are deep in the weeds here this is part of the process of having a good relationship with a a fitter knowing like hey uh either I do need to refer you to somebody else or I'm going to just book you in in three consecutive fittings and we're going to monitor this really, really carefully because I know that we're doing something that, you know, may or may not have a positive effect, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I talk to my clients a lot about finding data points, right? We're collecting data points. I'm looking to see conventional wisdom says this saddle should work should fit 
should make your horse happy, should make you comfortable. Let's look at it and see if that's true. Let's put it on the horse and put you in the, t- in the tack and let's go see whether the horse moves differently. Does the horse like this saddle? If, if there's an 80% correct fit and a 90% correct fit, which one does the horse prefer? Which one do you prefer? Can we get it closer to 100% once we know the horse prefers the 80% fit? Great. What about that fit is it that the horse likes? What about that fit do you like? Let's learn as much as we can. And so sometimes that does mean that we do multiple appointments, partially because horses are animals and they get a say in this process, right? They are sentient beings. They get to say, hey, I would like to not have a fourth saddle put on me today. I'm done for the day. I want to be turned back out with my friends. Let me get my hay. Leave me alone. Right? Sometimes you can't collect all the data points in one appointment. Sometimes you can't try all of the variables in one setting. Oh, yeah. I'm a strong believer in that. That that kind of long-term relationship is so incredibly important to build with your clients, to be able to say, hey, I'm going to come back and we're going to find more. We're getting closer, right? I'm moving the pendulum ever closer. The needle is getting closer to the right answer for that horse, for you and that horse together to reach your maximum potential. And even if your potential is to go on some really nice trail rides, right? We are looking to move us closer to or as close to perfection for the two of you as we possibly can. And inevitably there are challenges to that. Inevitably there are challenges to every situation. I've had situations where the trainer needs a completely different setup and saddle than the owner does and how we cannot make the same saddle work for both of them. And how do we, you know, have that discussion? I've had situations where the horse is genuinely not fit for purpose. The horse is too small. The horse is too big. The horse is too obese. The horse is too emaciated. The horse is too lame. It's too whatever. You know, having to have those difficult conversations requires a certain amount of sensitivity and a certain amount of knowledge. And you really do have to sort of have as much information backing you up as you can get. And truth be told, you also have to be a people person, right? You can't get into this business thinking, I'm just going to hang out with horses all day. There are plenty of jobs in in the horse industry for people that don't want to talk to folks. But if you are going to be a saddler or be a saddle fitter, you've got to have conversations and you've got to be able to go in and explain yourself. And you have to be able to, as you said, go and improve stuff. I'm going to show you when I put this saddle on, this one bridges, this one rocks, feel this thing. Come here and stick your hand in this gullet. Look at your horse's ears. I walked towards him with this saddle in hand. He knows that saddle came out of the tack room. He's already got his ears and he's already mad. This doesn't make him happy, even if traditionally it fits in every other way. Let's talk about why. Let's look at the data points. Let's collect more information. And if that takes multiple appointments, I'm here for it. I'm going to keep coming back. We're going to keep finding the right answers. So it is, there's an art and a science to it. It truly does require you to know the data and the knowledge and the variables and still to then be able to interface with the horse, interface with the rider, interface with trainers, with owners with saddle makers, with saddle brands, with consignment shop owners, with people consigning saddles. There is a human aspect that really does become sort of the art of this, um, where you can really have these very magical moments, both as a saddler or a saddle fitter. If I change the webbing configuration and we get the saddle balanced exactly right and I get everything moving in the way that we want to, do we have this aha moment where the horse's back is loose and their shoulders are moving beautifully and they're stretching forward into the contact and the rider is being lifted up into their seat? And, you know, yep. it can have these really magical moments where 
everything is looking really, really great. Um, and that's, that's truly what drives me. You know, I get these occasional, like the sky opens up and the angels sing and there's, you know, a beam of light that's shining on the horse. You know what I mean? It, it can be, um, those are really what makes some of those more difficult things really, really worth it because when it's right, gosh, is it beautiful. Yeah. That's my passion right there. And you said it, I say it daily to riders. I said, we're, we're looking for an aha moment. We're looking for that one glimmer where I, you know, where you're that smile on your face when you know, Oh, I got my old horse back. (laughs) <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's and you know it's one of those things where it's just a glimmer because you know it, sometimes yeah we can make huge strides into making it better but it's also we're asking a horse all of a sudden to use muscles it hasn't used in a very long time and correct you yep. know next week I guarantee you you're going to be calling me with like oh he's back to his old self it's because yeah you, we, yep. we took away the keys from the Chevy cargo van gave you keys back to the Ferrari and you drove it like you stole it and yep. you got exactly what you asked for <laughs> right. so I, I don't wreck the Ferrari into a tree take yeah, it slow exactly but it's it, it is that aha moment and this is where I get really really frustrated I don't know I mean i you know I have to check myself constantly that I'm not jaded but someone who's at the very beginning or earlier in their career of, of learning and stuff and when I see people you know especially there's one one American in particular that's kind of I think they think they're educating people and it's a it's a lot of pontificating and on the topic of saddle fitting and stuff and some of it is like beware don't do these common mistakes or be careful whatever but it's also it's like you said it we're we're moving a pendulum it's it's you're creating every single rider saddle a horse combination is a unique variable and if you come in with confirmation bias you're you're missing something but if you come in with okay how do all these things work together what variables we can't change the horse we can't change the rider we can impact the saddle we can impact how the saddle set up we can change to a different saddle like I always say to clients all we're doing is playing with variables I'm not coming in saying I have the answer we're on a journey together to discover what this cocktail needs to be you know the best tasting cocktail right yeah yeah it can be really hard because if you get one shot at that client, that client is taking a risk, they're putting some money on the line, they're bringing you in, they need a fit, right? they need something different than what they've got going on or what they're doing isn't working and they need, I have shows coming up, I'm paying my trainer all this money, I've got all of this on the line, I'm very, you know, motivated or type A or, you know, highly driven and they want a quick fix. They want the magic wand. They want somebody to come in and tell them either exactly what they think they already know, which can be really difficult, or to come in and, and sell them a magic bean that's going to grow, you know, the perfect gold medal horse. That's a real challenge. So I do try to sort of manage client expectations. I try to manage colleague expectations. I will go out and I will bring the resources that I have with me to bear. And we will do our very best to find 
a better solution than we currently have and continue to move in that direction for as long as we can. But not every client is going to be your client. And that's okay. Not everybody is going to be the person that's willing to go on that journey with you. And so, you know, yes, we are business owners. Yes, most of us are self-employed. Yes, most of us have to make ends meet and pay our own bills and keep our own horses fed and do all of those things. But we also have to do that with integrity. And for me, sometimes that means saying, hey, I'm not the right fitter for you. Hey, you want something that I'm not comfortable providing or you want this horse fit in a way that I'm not comfortable doing. Um, and I do think that the internet is a blessing and a curse <laughs> because people can go to Dr. Google and diagnose themselves. And apparently it's always Crohn's disease if you do that. But um, they can go and diagnose themselves on, you know, WebMD or whatever. And then they can go and find whatever resources on the internet exist to tell them that their saddle does or doesn't fit. And, you know, hey, this is the perfect solution. Oh, I had one situation where that my horse looked like that and this is the saddle that we used. You should go buy one. And those people mean very well. They don't necessarily have any skin in the game, quote unquote. They're not selling that saddle. They're not necessarily doing anything untoward. They're trying very hard to be, you know, a helpful resource. But sometimes that really makes our jobs harder. I bought this saddle off of the internet because somebody said it fit a horse that they had that looked like mine. And we, you know, yep. gosh, that's only a small percentage of the equation. We have so much more that we need to do. And there is a real... Um, a real urgency in I think that we have in America that we don't necessarily find in Europe where people believe themselves over everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, yep. You know, they believe their own, we're very, I don't, I don't want to say self-assured, but you know, once we believe something, we believe it very firmly and we're not super interested in being swayed from our own knowledge. And that, you know, has proven itself over and over again in the history of America. It's one of the things that made the country, right? We knew better. We didn't need England to tell us anything. We knew better. Um, and so that truly is sort of the American credo. And what that means is you have to be able to sort of work around. I know you want a quick fix and I know, but look, I'm showing you, here's the evidence. I'm going to put you in a different saddle. We're going to talk about your leg. I'm going to take some video of you riding. We're going to talk. I'm going to make you squeeze this tree. I'm going to make you touch these things. I'm going to bring you over here and show you what I know so that we can hopefully get your horse fit and get everybody moving in the right direction. But there is plenty of misinformation out there about every single topic. Um, oh, yeah. And you know, it, it, even aside from saddle fit. And you mentioned earlier, Christian, the loneliness of some of this, of being a saddle fitter or a saddler. And I just wanted to sort of give a quick plug to um, alternate colleagues. I have really, I have a really, really great farrier and she is the president of our local farriers association. And I call her and ask foot questions all the time. Hey, I'm looking at this saddle fitting client and the horse has one really big right front foot and slightly smaller left front foot and his knees aren't even and blah, 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 you know is there anything that I need to know about that foot configuration that might change the way his back moves? She's a genius and she's well-trained and she's a journeyman farrier and she'll tell me what she knows. Um, massage therapists, body workers, veterinarians, those people are also on the road, 
figuring out their mileage, what they're charging for a barn fee, who's, you know, a great resource to make referrals from, who's worth, you know, going and doing shows and being there, who pays their bills on. I mean, those people are, are not in our wheelhouse necessarily, but they are our colleagues. They are also out here grinding the mean streets of the equestrian world, and they can be a really great place to sort of find some solace and some camaraderie in asking some of those difficult questions. If your closest local saddle setter is 400 miles away in a different climate, that's a very different situation. You know, hey, what are, how are you guys charging? What are you doing in the winter when it snows? What are you doing when it's a thousand degrees outside and the surface of the sun? Are you still going and seeing clients? When do you take a day off? How do you do, you know, they, they don't have to be saddle fitters for them to be a good resource for you. Again, we're sort of trying to cobble together something that is a weird little niche market that we're trying to make work. And those people also have some things that they can contribute to your knowledge and to your ability to be uh, part of a team, as it were. I really like to ask my clients, when was the last time your horse had a chiropractic adjustment? Or when was the last time a massage therapist saw him? Has he ever had his back injected by the vet? Do you guys have his shoes done every however many weeks? When was the last time his farrier was here? Those things factor into the soundness of the horse, how much maintenance we're doing, how much maintenance does he need, what am I seeing today that I might not see if I were here in three weeks. All of those things sort of contribute. So you are not an island as a saddler or a saddle fitter. You are part of a team and you just have to reach out and maybe remind those people that you exist and that you are also a resource for them. Um, and I do share some clients with my farrier and I have other farriers that have reached out and said, Hey, I've got this client. This horse really struggles to stand on this foot. And, you know, I think that the saddle's pinching. I looked at the saddle when she was riding, when I was here, we were looking at the feet, but I think the saddle's unbalanced and sitting heavy to the left and he's sore on the left front. And can, is that something you can look at and fix? Sure. I can try. So, you know, those people also become resources and they, there is, um, no reason to be stingy with your knowledge and there is no reason for them to be stingy with their knowledge and so it really does open up other means of communication and other ways to make this feel less daunting they oh, know a lot of stuff yeah. we know a lot of stuff and sometimes we can really help each other no that's fantastic advice i you know in an article not that long ago someone asked me you know how do you find a good saddle fitter and i'm like look you really 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 have to work your network you are asking your farrier you're they're in and out of a ton of barns in the area and they hear things they hear people raving about oh this massage therapist was awesome she got back to me right away she leaves detailed notes she follows up every time versus the oh i had the worst experience with xyz you know and it's you know the the other people like you say who are pounding up and down the highway living the same life as you they're doing a different job but that you share all kinds of clients and experiences and you know they're a great resource and it's nice to to have someone to connect with once in a while to share some successes but also to be like oh man i'm really struggling today (laughs) right yeah yeah for sure and the both you and your husband you're 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 both first responder background yeah yeah we met at work oh that's awesome (laughs) and so (laughs) is this the story of uh your passion um slowly became his well he rode before i knew him so 
in fairness to him, he has ridden for about 10 years before I ever got here on the scene. Um, he went to Virginia Tech, which has an equestrian program, and he dated some of the girls in the equestrian program. So he started riding in college. He's continued to ride. And so, you know, he has always wanted to sort of join me in the barn. We've always sort of enjoyed the idea of owning a business together. And I honestly, this has taken off so much bigger and faster than I ever anticipated that it would, that I basically said, hey, I need you <laughs> to yeah. get interested in this. I really need help. And um, his skill set is very different than mine, right? He is... Um, he's a logistician that is truly like his skill set and his passion is customer service and moving widgets around and that is something that he's done a lot for the first response community he's done it for the medical community he's really proven himself to be good at that and now i'm like hey i need you to like map my drive for the day i need you to tell me in what order i should do these things i need you to help make sure that like if I ship this thing, it's getting where I need it to go. Or how long is it going to take me to get the new billet leather in? And he's just really great at those kinds of things. And we like each other a lot. So nice. we like spending time together. Um, and so when I would go out and be gone for 12 hours, running around the mid-Atlantic state, doing 500 miles in a day, going to saddle fittings, we missed each other. And so I said, look, if you're going to ride around in the truck with me, you got to help. <laughs> you're going to come do this. We, we got to, you know, train you up so you can be doing things while I'm doing things. You're not just sitting there staring at your phone all day. That's boring and, and it sucks. So um, we talked quite a bit when he started getting involved in the shop. Uh, he started at the bench with me. Um, and, you know, initially I just taught him to, like, drop panels and help deflock stuff and stitch on billets and just things that freed me up to do the harder work, like replacing a seat or you know, restitching things that are falling apart or making new tack. And so I said, look, these are, you know, these are apprentice level, easy stuff, go do. And he would sit in there with me and we would listen to music and talk. And that really helped a lot. And then we said, okay, look, if we're going to do this and you're going to be part of it, what education should we look at next? Because I can impart the knowledge that I've gained from my education pieces to him through our time together and through him, you know, being next to me while I go and do fittings. I said, let's look at finding a different education path for you to pursue. And that way we can, you know, gain as much more industry knowledge as we can. So that's why he chose to go the agronomist route. And, and, you know, I didn't know a lot about that training opportunity before he pursued it. We, just sort of looked at what was available in the marketplace and made uh, almost like threw a dart at a board and said, all right, online or in person. And that was sort of where we were. Um, in person would have meant driving many, many hours to South Carolina multiple times. And that sort of flies in the face of our otherwise trying to spend more time together and trying to be at home together, <laughs> sending him many states away several times over the next couple of years seems like a bad idea. So he went with the online school route because that still gave him an opportunity to come and learn a lot with me and from me on the road. So we did that. Um, he has completed that course. He, I think he liked it. I think there was some really good education in there. Again, I do think that he benefits from having somebody on the ground who's already doing it. He had already sort of started coming with me and seeing what we were doing and taking saddles apart and learning more about 
saddle construction and why we make the choices that we make. So I do think that some of it was repetitive for him. But I think that if you were starting out as a novice, it's a totally good place to begin. Um, And so that is how he's sort of evolved. And um, I took him over with me to spend a day at the bench with Ridgely and they like each other quite a bit. And so that was an easy sell. I said, you know, let's get you some time with Ridgely because Ridgely w- could never impart all of the things that he knows to just one person. I don't think he can impart everything that he knows to two people. Um, I think that we will lose some of that inherent knowledge that he has. I mean, he's forgotten more about Sadlery than I will ever know. Um, and truly he is an artisan where I am. I can follow a recipe. I'm a fine cook. He's a chef on the highest level when it comes to saddles and saddle repair. And so truly, you know, I will never surpass his skill, but I'm going to absorb as much as I possibly can. And now Matthew is too. And so we've got, you know, sort of a duplicate effort in trying to gain as much of that information and knowledge as we can. And it turns out that, um, you know, Matthew can sew and that's great. So he, you know, is good at that. His mom taught him to sew when he was a kid. So you know, the first time I put a leather kit in front of him, he was like, oh, yeah, I can stitch this together. And I was like, you can? Yep. And it turns out again. And so he's really, um, he's been a great asset for me. And it's been really fun to sort of broaden our knowledge and our experience with two people. And sometimes we're on a fitting and he goes, hey, what about that other saddle that we have? And I hadn't considered it. And he's absolutely right. We should consider this other option. He sees things a little bit differently. So again, collaboration is one of the great gifts you can give yourself when you're getting into this is go and find somebody that knows more than you and then listen when you think somebody doesn't know as much as you know. Um, you really can have some real moments that way. So it's been very cool. Yeah. Well, that's just the this multi-pronged approach that you have. You know, it's easy to say, this is brilliant. This is the way it should be done. But trying to set that up is really really hard but it, it I think what struck me is that my journey into it is you know I had um, met someone who was um, at that stage where they were like yeah I'm happy to share all my knowledge and I don't want to be in front of customers that's your job <laughs> like di- very yep. different tasks but overlapping all the time and it's just brilliant I just love it and the fact that you guys were sensible enough I think it's a really really smart choice to say no I I'm doing this SMS stuff why there's no you know we can share that with each other you go off and do something from a different well and we'll share that and and you know when you combine it with with what Ridgely offers it's just like the uh, the power couple of the (laughs) mid-Atlantic states I love it Thank you. Thank you. We're having a really good time. I have to be very honest. I mean, truly, I know this is work. It's supposed to be work. But honestly, like I giggle so much all day. I really, truly do love what I do. And I really do, um, you know, and, and I and I have just met such incredible people. You know, I know that you and I met in Florida, um, you know, going in and doing some Albion training when Albion started to make their big push back into the U.S. And we had a really great experience there meeting with them. And, you know, a week later, I had a question for you. And I, you know, hit you up on Facebook and said, hey, quick, weird question. Um, Here's a thing. And you, again, were just so prompt and available and helpful. We had great conversations. 
you know, we exchanged, you know, knowledge and information. And that's been really fun. And truly, you know, a couple of weeks after that, I went to the UK for 10 days. Um, and went to Albion's factory and have never been more welcomed by a group of humans in my entire life. Um, went to the Bliss of London Loxley Cavaletti factory. And again, could not have been more celebrity treatment from walking in the door. Let's show you everything. Let's blow the roof off. And here's our tree room. And here's our this. And here's our that. And do you need any tools made? And can I send you home with a different flocking iron? And what do you think about this? And oh, did you want to help with this repair? And what's your opinion? I mean, just truly collaborative. It truly, it feels very much like a, a family. And and I've just been so welcomed by everybody. And I, I think that, you know, with the right approach, they would welcome anyone. You know, they're, we are a small group of weird niche little dorks who really love this <laughs> weird leather saddle stuff. And yep there are not a lot of us and you know we can geek out about well what about this size webbing and why that seat foam and what about this fitting technique and what do you think of crossed fillets and what do you think of v webbing and you know nobody cares about that stuff but us yeah but that's why that's why i wanted to do the podcast because you know i'm alone in my shop and then when i'm around people it's usually that they're either at the beginning or they're a client and your job is to, you know, educate, impart yeah. some knowledge and, and guide them. And it's like, no, no, I need that, you know, that bar where all the firefighters go and hang out after a shift. Or I need yeah. that, 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 you know, teacher's lounge or something where people can, you know, just get in there and discuss things on a different level. And I really appreciate you saying that about um, the manufacturers because sometimes I've run into it where they're um, this is why we're the best and I immediately tune out I really don't like that arrogance and um, they they sometimes assume that North Americans really are um, not as knowledgeable as we are and I think they misunderstand like no 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 we're thirsty we've been lapping up all this knowledge um so so it's nice when you open your doors just actually show us you know and like you say like strain a tree for me what i need to understand it's that really fun time when you get from is the saddle bridging is it rocking what's the tree width to no i like the balance point in that saddle or i like the position of that stirrup bar or why this billet configuration or literally I've seen saddles of major 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 brand recognition a name every single person on the planet would know and they do things like put a thigh block further back than the stirrup bar would allow a stirrup leather to hang Mm -hmm. like literally the stirrup leather has to hang over top of the thigh block and you think okay you've lost all credibility with me immediately. The fact that this isn't just something that one time left the shop. This is your latest model. This is your, hey world, pay attention. We've just rolled something new out. And it's categorically like (laughs) just wrong. Yeah. And you're you're just thinking, okay, like how do you, you know, and it's nice to be a get to that stage where you're quickly identifying going, 
yeah, nice saddle, but ergonomically will never work. Right. And and no wonder fitters are getting frustrated, because, you know, and it's nice when p- people open their doors and say, this is how we do things. Uh, this is who we work in. Some companies are really fantastic at certain niche things and you will always go to them because it's like, look, your dressage saddles are incredible or your cross country saddles specifically like dominate or whatever. And, uh, but yeah, your other models, not so much, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's, it's because they have a desire to roll out a complete line uh, to the world. Well, and right? innovation for the sake of innovation, right? I'm doing something different because it's new and I can splash it all over marketing material. And Okay, but is that the best choice? Is it an actually a good idea to use NAFA cat? I mean, um, calf Napa wrap on everything that doesn't have grain leather behind it. Or, you know, should I be making seats out of lamb skin that's going to fall apart immediately? You know, those sorts of things. Like, yeah, maybe that's what the consumer thinks that they want. But you and I both know that the planned obsolescence is a problem, right? Like, this this isn't going to last. Or like, that's a great idea, but can an average rider sit in that battle and be effective? Yeah. And so... That is a piece of, but even when somebody approaches me and says, we're the best and here's why, or we're the best because, or we're doing this new thing, there's still a piece in there for me to learn from. Even if it's, I got to get past the ego and the nonsense and the whatever, they're still, they have a belief about what it is that they're doing and why. Now I want to know about it. Tell me why you're doing this. Tell me why you believe that. Help me understand. Because again, that's a, a just a, a piece in my Rolodex of information. I don't have to subscribe to it, but they are absolutely welcome to tell me about it and I'm happy to listen. They think that this new innovative tree thing is gonna turn the world on its ear and set everybody on fire and sell a million saddles. Great, why? Explain to me. So that when people ask me about it, I can say, hey, this is what they say. Here's my experience that countermands that, but this is why they're doing what they're doing We'll just have to see how it plays out, but I'm not blah, 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 white, right? Or I think this, or I agree with them. And I think that, you know, who knew, but this is the thing. And so even in those moments, I try to put, and, you know, I have, again, I stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm sure at some point I will hit jaded. <laughs> I'm sure at some point I will. Um, but I, it is, there's so much knowledge and so much, and it has for so many years been so siloed. Right. No one was allowed to go into those factories. Nobody was allowed to talk about what the trees were made of. Nobody was showing. Nobody was doing. And now, maybe because of the Internet or maybe because people are just they have the time and the energy. I tell my clients all the time, when you know better, you do better. And, you know, they get, oh, I'm so sorry. I've hurt my horse so much. And, oh, I didn't know. And, oh, I bought this saddle. And, oh, I was told this or, oh, I was sold that. Or, look, you didn't know. And now you do. And now you can make a better choice. Now I can help guide you to a better solution. And that's one of the things that I think is happening in in the world of saddle manufacture now. Part of the problem is that it's all in Europe. It's all far away from us, right? In in North America, we have one, you guys have one manufacturer in Canada, yes? And we have zero in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. And, And we need that to come back. We need someone to create saddles here in the U.S. We need somebody to create saddles in Canada. We need something other than just Western tech manufactured here because it presents a barrier to getting into those places and learning those things. 
So, you know, someday I might just have to open a school. Yes. And well, take all of my years of education and, and turn it into something where we make saddles in the U.S. and we make new saddle repair people and we make new saddlers and we make new saddle fitters and we, you know, who knows. It's all a pipe dream right now, but it is in the works and we'll see what happens. But that we need that here. You know, there needs to not be a transatlantic flight to get to go see somebody put a saddle together. I agree. There needs to not have to be special permission to walk in the door. So we got to get there. I agree. I would love to see some manufacturing, some education, some um, a a more openness um, on the English saddle manufacturing side of things. That would be incredible. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. I'm I am going to end it there. I think we've had a great chat, learned, um, you know, a lot about um, Mid-Atlantic Saddlery and yourself and, and your team behind you. It's exciting to, to watch uh, things unfold. Um, hopefully we'll be circling back at a future date to um, discuss uh, what, what new projects you're working on and hopefully uh, some of the things you are cooking up now are going to come to fruition. I would absolutely welcome future opportunities to chat and collaborate and make new saddlers and new saddle fitters for us. I'm I'm in and I'm happy anytime you're ready, Christian. We can chat more. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you for being my guest today on the Saddlers Post podcast. Thank you, Christian. This is Lauren Garrett Bond from the Mid-Atlantic Saddlery and Tack Repair located here in the U.S., Maryland, Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Virginia, West Virginia, occasionally North Carolina. We offer saddle fittings, saddle repairs, saddle sales of four high-quality English brands of saddles, Albion, Swiss of London, Lockley, Tossier, and Bernie Brothers of Ireland. We are here for all of your saddle and saddlery needs. We see clients all over the place and we accept repairs from anywhere in America. I have genuinely enjoyed getting to talk to my friend Christian today on the Saddler's Post. This has been so much fun. Thank you. This has been the Saddler's Post with Christian Lowe. Thank you for listening. The Saddler's Post is sponsored by Christian Lowe Leather Care. Visit christianlowe.ca